What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast. Happy Tuesday, August 28th. I am Will Brinson. I am your host, the only host of the only daily NFL podcast on the entire internet. It feels good to say that, even if it's not true. I think it is. Uh, of course, there's fantasy football today, which you should be subscribing to and listening to um, right now. Heath Cummings, Dave Richard, Jamie Eisenberg, Adam Azer, Chris Towers jumps on there. They crush it, man. I listen to it uh, uh, maybe not every day. I try to listen every day. It's an invaluable resource during the season, so check that out as well. You can subscribe and rate and review their podcast. And certainly, if you're listening to this podcast, subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend. Uh, tell 50 friends or 50,000 friends or how many ever friends you need to tell to get me uh, to get me a bump up in, uh, in cash. It's not going to happen either way, but um, thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Will Brinson. If you are so inclined and you want to ask me fantasy football advice, I am more than willing to answer your fantasy football questions. I have multiple ways you can reach out to me. One, I've, I've opened up my DMs on Twitter. Um, we'll see how long this lasts. I did it mainly to set up these pick six fantasy leagues, uh, that are, that are going very slowly, but that's okay. Um, but I also because now I'm like, people can, you can actually interact with people. And which is kind of nice without having to follow 9 million people. Um, so DMs are open if you want to jump in there and you can email me, willbrinson at gmail.com. I will attempt to get back to you as quickly as possible. Um, I'm a little behind on emails at Pinehurst over the weekend playing terrible golf. Uh, if you want to join the pick six podcast pickums league, we have prizes. You're going to get a free fantasy league, free commissioner league next year. If you win the whole thing, and uh, we're going to give away a bunch of Pick 6 Podcast t-shirts. Go to pick6pod.football.cbssports.com, and you should be able to join. If you cannot, tweet me or something, or you can go to my Twitter page. I've got a link there, uh, at Will Brinson on Twitter. Let's get to some news, and then I'm going to tell you why the Atlanta Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl, and I'm going to break down the first two rounds of fantasy drafts because it's something that I've been thinking about all day on Monday. And... um sort of strategy for using for how to approach whether to go running back or wide receiver and, and some other stuff that's kind of floating around in the cabeza. So let's get to that. By the way, if you want, if you want, if you want fantasy advice, you can also get it from, Oh, wait, never mind. Hold on. Sorry. Coming up this week, some guest, uh, RJ White is going to join us on Thursday's show. I'm not sure who's going to be on tomorrow's show. We'll figure it out on Tuesday. Uh, be somebody cool, maybe. Um, RJ White's going to break down his future bets that he placed in Vegas over this past weekend. RJ, uh, is with sportsline.com. We're also going to have Mina Kimes of ESPN on Friday show. Very excited about that. And, um, if, by the way, if you want more of RJ's work, he crushed it on, uh, sportsline last year, making picks against the spread. And if you want those winning picks and fantasy advice, go to sportsline.com. It's a bunch of it's combined simulations with experts, expert analysis to give you an edge all football season. Sports side members get picks from experts, former handicappers, computer simulations, deep fantasy analysis, uh, you know, who you're going to, who should draft, add, et cetera, et cetera. And you get access to daily fantasy lineups from DFS millionaire Mike McClure. Join Sports Line today and get your first month for a buck. One dollar by using the promo code Pass. That's P-A-S-S. Before you try promo code pass, go try promo code will. W-I-L-L. See if that works and then I'll get credit for it. Uh, go to sportsline.com 
backslash join and enter promo code pass, P-A-S-S, or will, W-I-L-L, during payment to get Sportsline for one buck. Check it out. Sportsline's good stuff. I go there at least once a day to see what experts are are picking what? Uh, Tom Fernelli is on there. Tom Fernelli's been on this podcast twice. He makes college football picks on there. Tom's Twitter tips of the day. Very popular. Um, okay. Let's get to some news. And the big news, of course, is Odell Beckham Jr. signing a monster contract with the New York Giants. Uh, multiple reports out there note that the, the value is 90 million over five years added. So 18 million a year which means that he now makes more than Antonio Brown, $41 million fully guaranteed at signing, $24 million in injury guarantees, which means he gets $65 million in guarantees over the $90 million deal, $90 million deal, excuse me. And uh, there's another $5 million, Mike Carafalo of NFL Network noted, uh, that brings the max value to $95 million. And if you think, if you don't think Odell Beckham was happy, Go look at some of the Instagram feeds from these players in the Giants locker room. Uh, he's pretty happy. They're going nuts. He's dancing around, celebrating because he finally got paid. And you know what? Odell Beckham deserved to get paid. Odell Beckham is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. It, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. Now, he didn't have a great 2017 because he got hurt. But he led the league in yards per game in, in 2014 as a rookie, despite only playing in 12 games. He's made the Pro Bowl three times the first three years of his career. Went over 1,300 yards all three of those seasons. Had more than 10 touchdowns all three of those seasons. Odell Beckham, when he is healthy and when he is on the field, is an incredible athlete. He's an incredible wide receiver. He's a game-changing, game-breaking wide receiver. And he's currently 25 years old. He's not even, he won't even turn 26 until November. You pay that man. You pay him and you don't think twice about it. I mean, this is, he's a, he's a franchise wide receiver. Now you can make the argument and I, and I would make, I would make the argument that the Giants should have drafted Sam Darnold and then use some later picks on, on offensive line help and then short up the offensive line and then, then use this, maybe even use a second round pick on Nick Chubb. Like, would you rather have Eli Manning and Saquon Barkley or, and Odell Beckham locked down or would you rather have Sam Darnold Nick Chubb, Eli Manning for one more year, and and and, and Odell Beckham locked down because you could have you could have either one, right? I mean, like it wouldn't be that hard to do. And the Giants are now in a position where they have to be good in 2018, or else it might be you know consideration like, do we have to reset this even harder than we did? You know, was three and thirteen an anomaly? And I'm not sure that it was. I mean, I think the Giants are. One of the few picks that could win the division from a last place team. But then you look at their schedule and they get the Jaguars in week one, Cowboys in week two on the road, Texans in week three on the road, Saints at home in week four, Panthers on the road in week five, Eagles at home in week six, Falcons on the road in week seven, and then they get the Redskins in week eight before their week nine bye. I mean, that's brutal, man. Now look, they might win. They get the Colts and Titans and Cowboys at home and Buccaneers at home and 49ers on the road, um, on, on the back half. But you only got eight games left. What if they go two and six to start the season? I mean, then you have to, then you have to sweep the back half of your schedule in order to get to 10 wins. That's bananas. I mean, that, that, and I, look, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that the Giants can't go 
six and two to start the season. They could. I mean, maybe everybody else in the NFC stinks. Maybe the NFC South is terrible. Maybe the Saints, Panthers, or Falcons all stink. Maybe the uh, Texans won't be better with Deshaun Watson and, and uh, J.J. Watt back. Maybe the Cowboys stink. The Cowboys could stink. Maybe the Jaguars won't be out for revenge for Tom Coughlin. Maybe that won't happen. Um, if they could beat the Eagles at home, they could beat the Cowboys on the road. They could maybe beat the Jaguars at home. It could happen. They could beat the Redskins at home. So if they could go four and four in those first four games and then, then win another five or six games, I mean, you see, you see what I'm getting at here though, right? Like this is a hard schedule. And in order to make the playoffs and to justify going with Saquon Barkley, paying Odell Beckham money and not taking the friggin' quarterback, you have to go lights out. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough for the Giants to justify that. Now that being said, again, you pay Odell Beckham, it's a no-brainer. I do think it's crazy that less than six months ago, back in March of 2018, Dave Gettleman is standing outside on the veranda at, um, at the, uh, Ritz Carlton in, in, in Orlando at the NFL owners meetings, and he's just openly discussing the idea that the Giants might trade Odell Beckham. I mean, he, I mean, he wasn't taking it off the table. I mean, he was making it clear that they didn't want to trade him, but this was in the wake of Odell Beckham, the video with the pizza box and the white powder, um, you know, white powder looking substance, I guess you would call it. I, I mean, at that point in time, it felt like a legitimate possibility that the Los Angeles Rams were going to give up, uh, first, two first or, you know, first and a second, whatever they were going to give up to get Odell Beckham. They were trying to get one of these receivers in the 2014 class, right? I mean, they, they ended up getting one, Brandon Cooks. Uh, Odell Beckham is a substantially better talent than Brandon Cooks. No disrespect to Brandon Cooks. He got paid. He got traded. He's a great, I mean, he's a great player, but Odell Beckham is a potential Hall of Fame talent. Well, he is a Hall of Fame talent. He's a potential Hall of Famer. Now he has to play you know, 10 more years like this, seven more years like this, whatever it is. I mean, he has to, he has to put up numbers. Uh, commiserate with what he did the first three years and commiserate with his talent in order to justify that, that potential hyperbole that I just used. But if he plays like that, he will be worth the money and he will make the Giants much better. And it's a no brainer to pay him, but they, they were, they were in that spot. They were thinking about trading him. It wasn't, it, it's not some, no, not rewriting history. Dave Gettleman was not happy with him. And the Giants basically went to Odell and his people and said, listen, we want you to go dark. We want you to shut your mouth, stop pretending to pee on fake fire hydrants, stop making sweet, sweet love to kicking nets, get in to the, get into the facility, don't hold out, be a leader, be quiet, grind your tail off, be Eli's safety net, be the receiver we think, be a $95 million receiver and we will pay you and get you paid as one of the top receivers in the league. I mean, that's, that's the understanding you hear of what happened with the Giants. And it, I mean, it came to fruition, right? Odell Beckham did all that stuff. He got in there. He got quiet. He stopped complaining. He stopped asking to get paid. He, you know, didn't, he went dark on social media for the most part. You know, he wasn't up to his antics. He wasn't, you know, he was, he was, he was being, it's, it's like this dumb idea that the Yankee Yankees have about like true Yankees. You gotta earn your pinstripes. Right? Like, the Giants feel that way about themselves too. They think they're, they consider themselves a blue blood organization. They demand, um, the, you know, the top, like, we, we demand satisfaction, sir. Uh, they demand, you know, I, I don't, they want, they want, they want people to be like, 
this this bastion of of good behavior and and a model citizen. That's fine. I mean, it's just asking a little bit much of a 25 year old to, to settle down and at the wide receiver position. Um, I get it though. You want Odell to be a you want Odell to be a role model, somebody that you can look at and say, hey, we gave this guy 95 million dollars or at least $65 million, we feel good about it because he's grown up and he's matured. Now, we'll see what happens now that Odell signed the, the, the deal because he's getting $65 million guaranteed or at least $45 million guaranteed. He can pretty much do whatever he wants from that from that standpoint. Uh, but maybe, yeah, maybe he matures. Maybe he makes life easier on the Giants. Maybe he doesn't have those antics on the field. Um, I think it'll be somewhere in between. But the credit the Giants, too. They lived up to their word. They went out. They paid him. They got the deal done. They made sure that Odell Beckham became the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. He tops Antonio Brown. He tops all the other contracts that we've seen this offseason. He will be more than likely the top paid wide receiver in the NFL for a full season because it's, it's, it's highly unlikely that any one of the other guys who would be in his general vicinity, when you look at where the deals have been done and, 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 and who we're talking about here, right? Like uh, Antonio Brown already did a new deal. It's been topped by Odell. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins has a pretty recent deal. It's been topped by Odell. Julio Jones wanted a new deal, but he's not going to get it until next offseason. And, we, you know, there's just not there's not anybody else out there who – Mike Evans got a deal this offseason, right? He's not – I mean, he's not Odell Beckham. Same same class. Uh, Devontae Adams has a deal. Um, you know, T.Y. Hilton has a deal. Doug Baldwin has a deal. Keenan Allen has a deal. All these guys have deals. There's nobody out there who's on the same level as Odell Beckham that is going to jump Odell Beckham in terms of value of his contract. AJ Green, maybe. He's 30 though. I gotta, I gotta we'll get to AJ Green in a second. Um, Sammy Watkins, Jarvis Landry, not up, not to snuff. Brandon Cooks, not up to snuff. All those guys got paid this offseason, right? Stephon Diggs already got paid. He got paid this offseason too. The next deal that'll get done is Julio Jones. And it'll get done next offseason. Odell Beckham is going to be the highest paid wide receiver for very close to a full year. And that matters to these guys. I mean, it matters a lot to them. In fact, there's really nobody you can look at that's going to sniff that. Um, maybe Amari Cooper if he has a monster year. Although we see how contracts are going, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the Oakland Raiders. Not very well, right? And, uh, Joe Banner, I thought, pointed out that, you know, you look at, you look at what's going on. In Oakland, and and you see exactly what uh, is happening, you know, with with the negotiations between Khalil Mack and uh, and the Raiders, and it's not good, right? Like, said OBJ almost done. This is before it got done. Donald Aaron Donald almost done. Mack and the Raiders not even talking. It's one of the strangest situations I've seen in over twenty years of being involved in NFL contracts. Would love to know. What the Raiders strategy is. They don't have a strategy. I mean, the strategy is like to make your franchise defensive player mad and then to have him get traded away. Or maybe they're just waiting for the best possible offer as you get closer to the season. I mean, the freaking season. So I'm recording this on Monday night at 1020. The Raiders are seven days away. Is that right? Yeah. No, that's not right. Excuse me. <laughs> the, uh, the Raiders are 14 days away from their season starting. Like literally to almost to the minute they're going to play the Rams in a late game. They're going to need Cleo Mack. Aaron Donald's going to be there for the Rams, assuming nothing completely falls apart. He's going to get paid and get in there. 
Um, if you're, if you're the Raiders, you need to get something done. You need to get off your tail and talk to Cleo Mack. Maybe it's possible that they don't have any money. I mean, John Gruden just got a hundred million dollars over 10 years. It's possible that Mark Davis is saying, nah, I'm out of cash, man. We can't do this extension for this Mac kid. Let's, I mean, cause, and look, here's the deal. Joe Corey correctly pointed out that Khalil Mack, maybe we got Joe Corey on the podcast this week, um, that Khalil Mack is represented by Joel Siegel, who recently did a contract. So Richard Sherman signed a deal that paid him 14 million a year a few years ago. Shortly thereafter, that same offseason, Patrick Peterson, who's represented by Joel Siegel, signed a deal that paid him 14.1 or 14.01 million dollars per year. You're gonna, you see the benchmark set by a stud in your, it's your same position, it's your same job, and if you're up for a contract, you're gonna beat it. Aaron Donald, if he gets 23 million a year, Cleo Mack ain't taking 19. He's not taking 20. He's gonna take 23.1 or 23.01. He's gonna look at it and say, hey, I'm also a defensive player of the year. I play theoretically a more valuable position as an edge rusher versus, you know, somebody who's, um, you know, rushing from the interior. I'm not, I'm not saying that Cleo Mack is better than Aaron Donald, but I mean, I think you can make the case that he plays a more valuable position on the defensive line. I think you can make a case that, um, every team in the NFL would want him. I think you make a case that Cleo Mack might deserve that money. Now, are the Raiders going to give it to him? I don't know. It's a little late in the process for it, man. It seems like if you're Oakland, it seems like Oakland is trying to play chicken with this, and I'm not entirely sure, like Joe Banner said, what their end game is. Uh, we we shall see how it plays out. I think he gets traded. I like the Jets. Um, Lockenfora, Jason Lockenfora is on this podcast, and he pointed out that um, – that the Jets would be a great partner, and he told the Jets they should do it. And then, you know, we wrote about it, wrote a story about that, and then all of a sudden you see start seeing pop up on, like, the Will Kane show or something where people are – or maybe it was uh First Things First or something. Somebody was out there, right, talking about that story. You go ahead and credit the old Pick 6 podcast for that, guys. Um, elsewhere in the news, Tom Brady hung up on his weekly WEEI interview with uh, Minahan, Kirk Minahan, and – um it's not Kirk Callahan. What's the, uh, anyway, he hung up on whoever it is with WEI. Kirk Minahan was the guy talking to him. And here's the exchange. What changed in him not being on the, he, he was asked about, um, Brady and, and Alex Guerrero, his trainer, not being on the plane, uh, being on the plane, excuse me, on the way back from the Patriots game against the Panthers on Friday. He said, what changed in him not being on the plane last year, the team plane last year and this year? Was this just communication back and forth or was this an understanding of things? What led to that being able to happen this year? Brady said, yeah, I'm not getting into all that. Minahan says, when I ran into him at the Super Bowl in Minneapolis, I was talking to him, and he said it was all overblown between Belichick. Brady said, I don't want to get into it. Everyone knows it's well documented that the work he and I do together. And Minahan asked, was he on the sideline Friday? And Brady says, yeah. All right, guys. Have a great day. I'll talk to you later. Hangs up and pieces out. How great is that? Tom Brady just says, adios, amigos. You know, he's paid handsomely for this hit, but I am pretty sure that he can do whatever he wants as it relates to time, like he can't call in and hang up on, on, on Minahan and, and co every single week. But I certainly think that, um, it was Kirk and Callahan who told me it wasn't. It's Kirk and Callahan. Um, I certainly think that he can, uh, 
you know, if he gets asked questions that he doesn't want of that interview, he can hang up. He's done it before. I've heard him do it before. It wouldn't be, it's never surprising when he does that. And so if you're Tom Brady and you don't like the questions about Alex Guerrero, you can bail on it. I would tell Tom Brady that that's not the smart move. You know, Bill Belichick was asked about it today or on Monday as well. And he, he came back and said, listen, I don't have the time or the energy to, to, to list what everyone in our organization does. If I did, we'd be here a month. So my followed up again, he said, I'm not going to talk about everybody's responsibilities or whereabouts in our organization. We'd be here for a week if I did that. And, and he's not wrong. And I think when you do that kind of answer, you really do shut, you shut the door on people asking questions. When you're Tom Brady, and remember Brady walked away from our friend Ben Volan earlier this offseason when, when Ben asked him about the connection between Alex Guerrero and Julian Edelman. Uh, Brady said that's a, called a ridiculous question and walked away. Um, that's twice now this offseason that Tom Brady has refused to discuss and, and done it in a way that, you know, storming away that says, don't talk to me about this. And, I mean, I get that Tom Brady's the GOAT. It's a little bit, little bit weak to do it. You know, stand there and say, I'm not talking about that. And, and then, you know, you don't, you don't have to storm away, but Tom Brady can do what he wants, apparently. And somebody called him coddled, I think, at some point this afternoon. That's, that's fine. Or Monday afternoon, excuse me. That's fine. Marquise Lee, done for the year. Doug Marone confirmed as much. The Jaguars wide receiver who was paid a $38 million contract, signed a $38 million contract with $18 million guaranteed this offseason, uh, suffered a knee injury in a preseason game against the Falcons over the weekend. Um, Jalen Ramsey actually pinned the injury on the new helmet rule, saying that in this instance, because you had a situation where DeMonte Casey, who's the, the safety for the Falcons, who came in low, had to go at, you know, I mean, he wasn't like trying to go low at him, but you could tell he was trying to, you know, maybe he was trying to avoid leading with his helmet and trying to avoid uh, hitting Lee, who was running, you know, running around the 20 yard line and, and you know, with the ball in his hands, trying to hit him with his helmet first. And if he was doing that and the end result was him, you know, taking out his knee, then yeah, maybe there is a correlation here. And that's a dagger. That's a dagger, man. Uh, Ramsey said, you can't be mad at 27, Casey. You have to be mad at the NFL, not mad at them, because, but that is how the rule is. People are scared to tackle normal because I guess they don't want to do helmet to helmet and get flagged. Game changing stuff could happen. You don't really want to blame anyone, but you feel bad for him. I don't know, man. That's just tough to see it happen to one of my teammates, period. But you can't really blame 27. Now, Casey tweeted. He's like, of course he would. He's just trying to make a football play. He was never trying to hurt anyone. Uh, this reminded me of the, the case in 2013 when Rob Gronkowski suffered an ACL and was injured when TJ Ward went low on him, busted up his knee, and Ward afterwards said, it was a decision I made just to make a tackle on a big man, and unfortunately he got hurt. But if I would have hit up high, there's a chance I would get fined and all that other stuff, Ward said. I'm just being safe. So I think the NFL has to ask itself, like, you know, are we, are these players being directed to go lower than they should go? Is this resulting in, in NFL players, defenders going after knees and potentially damaging the careers of their fellow players? At the expense of avoiding penalties because of the new helmet rule. And it wouldn't, I mean, would it be shocking if that was the case? No. The way these refs have thrown flags through the first two weeks, 51 penalties in 33 games, I think the number is. They eased way back in week three. It's probably not going to be a huge problem in the regular season, but it's not a huge problem because, oh, they figured it out. It's, it's not as big a problem because 
it was a total disaster and they, they, you know, they, they decided to, you know, change what they were, how they were approaching it. And that's, that's good, I guess. But you, you know, you're still, you get, you need to improve player safety and you can't ask these guys to go helmet to knee. That's how guys get hurt very badly. And yeah, if you're, uh, if you're a defender out there, you know, Casey's not getting flagged for doing what he did, but you are getting flagged if, uh, if you lead with your helmet, it's a problem. Shaq Mason got $50 million from the Patriots. Speaking of the Patriots, $23.5 million guaranteed. Pretty good cash for Shaq Mason. A very good piece. Um, you, know, you compare that with Zach Martin. <laughs> Zach Martin got a six-year, $84 million deal. Shaq Mason, five-year, $50 million deal. Uh, still, you know, a, a, a very nice payday for a very good young guard. And um, Bill Belichick points out Shaq has done a good job for us from the time he got here. He came from an option-based offense in Georgia Tech, of course. It was quite different from ours, and he adapted quickly. He did a real good job of learning new techniques. He's an athletic player and has good strength, good balance, and an excellent run blocker. He can pull, run, and hit. He can. He's a very good, very athletic guard who played in that, that Paul Johnson scheme at Georgia Tech, and then he shows up, you know, for the Patriots, and he and Joe Tooney, Joe Tooney, excuse me, Joe Tooney have developed into, uh, two of the better guard combos in the league that nobody really talks about. So if you're, if you're New England, you know, you lost, uh, Nate Solder this offseason. You know, you lost, uh, you know, you, you're thinking you're going to have to deal with some offensive line woes, but they had the interior pressure to really be able to sustain the protection for Tom Brady. And when you think about how Brady, you know, Brady has his spot blown up, right? That was always the problem. They lose Isaiah Wynn, of course, too, to the, to the season ending, uh, knee injury or the season ending Achilles injury. Their first round, one of their two first round picks from the 2018 draft. Um, you know, Brady, if you can get him off his spot, that's how you really mess up Tom Brady. Hard to get him off his spot when he, you can't get any pressure on the interior. So Shaq Mason, not a surprise they would sign him. I would expect Tooney would, would come along at some point too. Uh, I'd be remiss if I did not point out that Blake Bortles and JJ Watt are doing very good things in the community. Blake Bortles, JJ Watt, uh, it's the, Foundation, the Justin J. Watt Foundation, raised $41.6 million all told in the Hurricane Harvey reliefs. It is the largest crowdsourced fundraising in, in history of anything, of fundraising, which is really awesome. Good work by you, J.J. Watt. Blake Bortles, and they, the Texans announced they distributed all that money out. That's fantastic news. Uh, Jake, Blake Bortles, in, of course, you had the tragic shooting in Jacksonville at the landing. Um, Seriously, thoughts and prayers to the city of Jacksonville. I got a lot of friends and family who live there and the landing's one of my favorite spots. Um, it's a sad, sad situation. Blake Bortles, um, worked with the Mambo's Cuban Cafe to invite all first responders to come to 501 East Bay Street for a hot meal. Food served at 1.30 and again at 5 p.m. And as Adam Schefter of ESPN tweeted out, Blake Bortles wrote handwritten letters to the first responders who, who came to that the, after the shooting. That's some awesome stuff. Um, you know, I know we got back and forth on this podcast a little bit with the whole uh, Blake Bortles, Teddy Bridgewater thing. And that's fine. That's fine. But the reality 
is um, Blake Bortles is a good dude. Doing good work out there. Credit for Blake Bortles. Great job. Let's get to uh, some other chatter. That's the news. Um, so I picked the Falcons to win the Super Bowl on CBSSports.com on Monday. You can go read that article. Uh, I tweeted it out. And the logic here, I didn't realize that SI, my pal Andy Benoit, maybe I'll have Andy on too. I didn't realize Andy had uh, also picked the Falcons to win the Super Bowl. Did not realize that USA Today had picked the Falcons to win the Super Bowl. Um, there might be other people out there. Talk to somebody. I'm going to be on the Dave Damashak football program on Tuesday afternoon. You can uh, probably check that out by Wednesday. But Sheck said he is also high on the Falcons. I feel surprisingly large train for Atlanta. I figured people would be all over New Orleans and Minnesota. Maybe Green Bay, the Rams, like those are supposed to be the teams they're picking, not the Atlanta Falcons. But the reason I like the Falcons is that when you look at this defense for Atlanta, what we've seen is over the last two years, the Falcons defense has come together in a big way in the second half and in a really big way in the postseason and has played extremely well down the stretch. And I think when you add in guys like Takaris McKinley, they picked up, uh, Deidre Sinat in this draft. Grady Jarrett, a 2015 fifth rounder. Vic Beasley, a 2015 first rounder. Duke Riley, a 2017 third rounder. Deion Jones, a 2016 second rounder. Devondre Campbell, a 2016 fourth rounder. Ricardo Allen, a 2014 fifth rounder. Keanu Neal, a 2016 first rounder. They're all young players. It's a loaded defense. And they've never clicked for a full season. But they steadily trended upwards. And they show signs of breaking out. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Dan Quinn got this unit to play like a top five defense this season. Now their matchups aren't necessarily easy because they play in the, the NFC South, but I could see them just everything clicking on defense and then becoming one of the dominant forces uh, in terms of defense in the NFL. And then offensively, look, they got Matt Ryan. He's a former MVP two years ago, had an incredible season, had a quote unquote down year last year, but it wasn't that down. They were just bad in the red zone. That's all it was. You know, they were, they were second or third in yards per drive. They just happened to be seventh in points per drive because they couldn't close in the red zone. Steve Sarkeesian had bad red zone play calling. I think he figures that out. You know, he knows what the problem was. He got better as the season went along. He targeted Julio Jones more there. Um, you know, they'll be smarter. They've got a good running game. They've got a good offensive line, a lot of consistency. And I just think this is a Falcons team that can really make some noise. Um, yeah, yeah I, I was, uh, I was talking to, oh, well, we, on this podcast last week, Mark Sessler. That was an awesome conversation with Sessler. If you haven't heard it, uh, go back and listen to that. But, but, you know, talking to Sessler about it and he, he made a great point. You know, the Falcons lose bad in the Super Bowl, crippling loss in the Super Bowl, and then come back two years later, a lot like the Denver Broncos, sort of reimagine their identity. Uh, you know, they were smart enough to take, to nip the Julio Jones thing in the bud. I just think this is a Falcons team that could win, they can win it all. And that's why I'm, uh, I'm picking them to win the Super Bowl. Now, I have cursed NFC birds before with my Super Bowl pick. So no guarantee that the Falcons are going to do anything here. Things can go south and maybe wind up with Matt Schaub throwing to Calvin Ridley in week eight. And I'll deeply regret that pick. It's entirely possible. I hope that is, I really hope uh, that is not the case. Very quickly, I would like to touch on some, uh, some draft, uh, discussion. And I, I don't know, do, I mean, I don't, I, I'm assuming that people care about this because you're, if you're, you know, if you're in a fantasy league, we talk about fantasy all the time on this podcast. I assume people would have started chat, like tweeting me and be like, shut up about 
shut up about your your uh, your podcast or your your, fa- your fantasy leagues. Nobody cares about them. Um, but the thing I wanted to point out is that if you look at these draft results, and I had that I talked about that draft in Pinehurst. I mean, it is bananas how aggressively people are taking running backs in these in these drafts. So we're doing the Pick Six Podcast uh, League that I am in. Oh my god, guys. We're in the second round. Things started this morning at eight, started Monday morning at 8 a.m. We gotta pick up the pace here. Uh, but Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, first three guys off the board, no surprise. Antonio Brown then goes half point PBR. Alvin Kamara ahead of Zeke Elliott, then Zeke, then Saquon Barkley, then Kareem Hunt. I went DeAndre Hopkins. We saw Odell Beckham, Leonard Fournette, and Julio Jones go to close out the first round. Then Melvin Gordon, Christian McCaffrey, and Dalvin Cook. Um, first of all, if you take a, a wide receiver in the first round, and then I took Keenan Allen in the second round, because I'm not afraid to go wide receiver, wide receiver in these spots. But I mean, I think that if you take a wide receiver in the first round, you're doing so later in the, later in the first round, and you're doing so under the presumption that somebody, um, like a Melvin Gordon, like a Christian McCaffrey, like a Dalvin Cook is going to fall back to you. Now, if you take, if you take Antonio Brown, it's probably a top five pick, and that's fine. I got no, I have no problem with that. I'd take Antonio Brown, um, wherever you want. You know, the thing that, the thing that strikes me about it is, but, and I've been, I've been wrestling with this all, all, I wrestled with this all day Monday. Um, I, in the fourth round of my league in Pinehurst, I took, I had, I went, so I went David Johnson to six, then I came back and went Michael Thomas, then I went back and went AJ Green. Then on the fourth round, I sort of panicked because I thought Zach Hurts was getting to me and he didn't. And I, I, I took Larry Fitzgerald. And I wish I had taken Kenyon Drake. And I think it'll be fine. I think both guys will have big years. I love Fitz. Um, you know, I now I have three loaded wide receivers. But the one problem I have is that when you go back and, you know, uh, like now Carlos Hyde, who I got in the fifth round, is my wide, is my running back two. And I like Carlos Hyde a lot. But Jay Ajayi, Mark Ingram, Kenyon Drake all came off the board there. I would I think Tevin Coleman came off afterwards, Sony Michelle, Marshawn Lynch. I ended up going Deion Lewis in the sixth round. I think that if you go if you want to get two good running backs, you need to take them in the first four rounds and maybe the first two rounds. But I have no problem if you go wide receiver, wide receiver, even go wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and then load up on running backs, I think you can take some pretty good flyer. Okay, let me let me restart this. I think that the new, instead of, instead of RB0, which basically is you don't take a running back for the first five or six rounds, I think the move is to take a, like a stud foundational running back to build your team around one guy. And there's a lot of them this year. Like I think Zeke, Gurley, Bell, Gordon, David Johnson, Kareem Hunt, Saquon, Saquon and Alvin Kamara I'm a little worried about, but I think they qualify. Leonard Fournette, I think Christian McCaffrey, certainly if you're in a PPR league, maybe just a regular league with the touch amount he's getting qualifies. Dalvin Cook is in that list. And I think that is where it would stop for me. I wouldn't want Joe Mixon as an RB1. Wouldn't want Jarrett McKinnon as an RB1. I think the play is to grab one of those running backs early on in the first two rounds. It's a little different if you're sitting at, you know, look, look, if you're sitting at 9, 10, 11, you can go after the wide receiver and then grab the running back on the flip. You gotta be like a little bit, you gotta be a little bit careful 
if you're in that if you're in that uh, eight range, seven eight range, because if you go like my buddy Nathan took DeAndre Hopkins, right, and then he was hoping that Dalvin Cook would fall to him, or Odell Beckham, and instead he ended up with Keenan Allen. That's perfectly fine. He could have gone Devonta Freeman. I think Devonta Freeman would work there too. Um, but if you're in that if you're in that um, you know seven six seven eight range. You got to be careful if you go wide receiver first because it's very unlikely one of those foundational backs is going to come back to you. And if you do go running back there, if you go running back in the first round, then in the second round you're going to get one of Keenan Allen, uh, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, AJ Green, Mike Evans. I mean, like you're going to get a to Adam Thielen. You're going to get a stud wide receiver in the second round. It's it's, it's just going to happen. And it, you can even grab somebody like a Kelsey or a Gronk. Because of the way that quarterbacks are going to get drafted in these, in your standard leagues, you can go foundational running back in the first round. And then, unless you're like 11 or 12, then you mix and match and, and look at the odds and say, all right, you know, if this guy takes two wide receivers, whatever they have this, if he takes two running backs, whatever they have. Um, but that's the play. Foundational running back first or, 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 or very early second round, like the first three picks of that second round. And they go wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. And all of a sudden, you have a sick base of talent. Like I, you know, again, like I wish I had come away with Kenyon Drake and then had circled back and gotten Jarvis Landry in round five or Chris, you know, I don't know about Chris Hogan, but Jarvis Landry in round five or like a, I don't know. I'm trying to see who else went. Sammy Watkins, maybe. There goes. Alan Robinson fell to the seventh round. I wish instead of going Larry Fitz, I'd gone Kenyon Drake. And then taking Jarvis Landry in the fifth. Like I would rather have Kenyon Drake and Jarvis Landry than Larry Fitz and Carlos Hyde, but it's, it's not that big of a difference. But that's the key is you can go running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, then grab another wide receiver depending on who's available or go for your RB2. You can mix and match your RB2 and your, and your wide receiver three at that five, six spot or that four or five spot, excuse me, in your draft. I think that's the best way to build a team in this year's draft. I have no problem if you take Gronk or Kelsey in the second round. I think they're great tight ends. Same with Ertz in the second or early third. But I think if you go stud running back, three wide receivers, then a running back again, that's the best formula for building a great team in your standard 12-team league. Um, that's my that's my my main takeaway for the end of this podcast. So I'm going to get out of here. We'll be back on Wednesday to talk some more football. I'm sure there will be some more NFL news. Thank you, as always, for listening, subscribing, rating, reviewing. Follow me on Twitter at Will Brinson. You can follow the podcast at Pick6Pod. Talk to you guys on Wednesday.